Full Steam with Jess Kelly. Brought to you by Work Human, the number one best workplace in Ireland. And we're hiring. Visit workhuman.com. This is News Talk. This is Full Steam, the series that profiles some of the most interesting people from the worlds of science, technology, engineering, arts and maths, all of whom just happen to be women. I'm Jess Kelly and this is the final episode in our six-part series. My guest today is Professor Kleena O'Farrelly of the School of Biochemistry and Immunology at Trinity College Dublin. Kleena is a bundle of energy and her passion for the sciences is palpable in this interview. We discuss getting started, not knowing where you're going and the competitive nature of academia. But I started by asking her what exactly her job entails. Gosh, how many days do you want me to describe? Um, so I've, there's a number of roles. I'm Professor of Comparative Immunology at Trinity College and um, it's a joint appointment in the School of Medicine and the School of Biochemistry and Immunology. And I have a, a research lab, so we have two or three quite big research projects, which I can tell you a little bit about. Mm-hmm. And that um, involves grant writing, um, recruiting researchers and supervising researchers. Um, one of my researchers at the moment, with a wonderful girl doing a PhD, um, joint with the Moffat Cancer Institute out in um, Tampa in Florida, is there at the moment. And um, we have a Skype interview later in the day, to a lab interview. So there's uh, many aspects to the research component. Mm-hmm. Then I'm uh, very involved in teaching. I teach at undergrad level and at um, graduate level. So we've just set the exams. The students are about to start their exams, so a whole load of exam papers will come in and uh, have a lot of marking to do for that. Um, we're in the middle of making a new MSc. There's a really a, um, great MSc coming out in Trinity, an MSc in immunotherapeutics. Wow. And that'll start in, 20, in this September. So there's quite a bit of work to be done to get that absolutely ready. And we're already recruiting. So I'm interviewing a, an applicant from India tomorrow on right. that. Yes. And then uh, another uh, very important component is um, mentoring other um, academics. And so I've just had a great, inter- a great um, conversation with a colleague from the School of Medicine who's very keen to develop immunology in Trinity. So we've just had a very positive conversation. Okay, so there's many, many strands to what you do. Um, how did you get into this? Were you always interested in, in science? Well, um, when I think back, yes, I was on. My mother had done science. Okay. She did biochemistry. She was one of the first biochemistry students um, in UCD and was actually taught by Conway. You know, nobody, nobody really knows who Conway was, but that can be another whole topic. She was taught by Conway. And um, so she always um, would kind of talk about um, scientific issues or would kind of give explanations. Like I asked her what did she actually do one day um, when she had been working as a research assistant in Montreal. I said, what did she actually do? And she said, "Um, I used a centrifuge. Now I was eight. (laughs) (laughs) And the word centrifuge was really great. And I said, what does that do? And she brought me outside and uh, outside into the yard and got a bucket of water and swung around and the bucket of water have you ever done that yeah and, it swing it fall out. and the water doesn't fall out yeah she said that's the centrifugal force <laughs> that image always stuck in my and another one that was very influential i went on exchange to france when i was about 13 again my mother and my parents sent me off there on my own at the age of 13 hardly able to speak a word of french but I had such a great time 
staying with this family um, up in a little village in the Alps and we used to go climbing in the Alps but it was a big family about six or seven and the eldest boy was a veterinary student mm -hmm. and he had to do these summer exercises and one of them was to dissect a snail and he did this on the kitchen table with us all grouped around. Well, it was riveting. And of course, I only understood one word in ten, but it was just looking at all the bits and pieces yeah. of the snail, that inside there were so many bits and pieces. I was just fascinated. Anyway, fast forward to my leaving cert, and I, I'm doing biology all right, but um, I didn't actually want to spend my life doing science. I wanted to do architecture. Okay. My father was an architect, and I had decided <laughs> I was going to do architecture and become a town planner um, in Africa, some country in Africa. Very precise, okay. Exactly. Right. Um, this was the, the ambition. Um, but I also really wanted to go to Trinity. Okay. And I didn't discover that Trinity didn't have an arch school of architecture until the day I was filling out the form, the application oh, form, okay. which required to be in that day. And I'm looking up the prospectus and there's no architecture under A. <laughs> and so I'm really stuck and I'm thinking, but I really want to go to Trinity. And that's another whole conversation <laughs> as to why. I have no idea why, but Loads I just really want to go. Yeah. yeah, and so I just really wanted to go, and what am I going to do? And I went through a whole lot of different things, theology, French, English history, law. No, no, no. Oh, God, I have to do science. So I came. <laughs> and That's insane. And there were, one or, there were some fabulous lectures. Um, but I was, I'd never done physics, and I was useless at physics. They had to introduce a new grade of fail. <laughs> for me, oh if F and F4, Trinity has four grades of fail, F1, F2, F3, and there were some of us that were so bad at physics that uh, they had to introduce a new degree. In, my this, in, in the first year, chemistry was nearly as bad. Anyway, I managed to scrape through first year and then got into second year and we had an inspirational um, lecture in zoology. You did a lot of lectures with us, absolutely brilliant, did an awful lot on evolution. It was Frank Geel. Okay. He was really, really inspirational. And I also did a lot of psychology. It's psychology being shift had been shifted from um, the arts down into the sciences. And so there was a whole new um, course had been developed and it was on offer to the science students. And so I did quite a bit in second year, which again was absolutely riveting. We had brilliant lectures and it was fascinating. So I, it never occurred to me that I would leave science, but um, I really, really enjoyed those years those first, that second year, yeah. that, those components so of the course. Did you just have an incredibly curious brain growing up with your mother the way she was, that you tolerated the sciences <laughs> and then when you had someone that could compel your attention second year that you just ran that with it? That is a fascinating way of putting it because I've always wondered why. I think that's exactly right. Okay. And it's something that um, I say to a lot of students who can't decide what to do. Mm -hmm. um, you actually can do lots and lots of different things. Or you, you know, lots of people can do lots of things. It's to find the one that you become riveted by. Yeah. And so that's exactly right. Um, we had some lectures in physiology that were really very good. One of, um, one of our lecturers actually was um, a vet. The veterinary school had moved out. UC, or Trinity used to have a veterinary school, but then um, UCD got it okay. in exchange for um, Trinity getting the dental school, which I only discovered at the time. But there were one or two Trinity vets who stayed, and Pat Hartigan um, lectured the scientists in physiology. 
So um, you're absolutely right. There were some of the lecturers that um, talked about things that were just fascinating. Mm -hmm. It does sort of reinforce the point that the teachers really do matter. Yes. So, you know, when I was in secondary school, we had great teachers in some subjects, but I never really took to the sciences until I was in fifth year. Yeah. And I had an amazing biology teacher and it just sort of clicked in my brain. I thought, oh, I can actually be good at this because I'm interested yes. in it. Yes. Rather than just learning off reams of text and then vomiting it back out yes. in an exam paper. Yes. Yes. It really does matter who teaches yes. you. It does. And um, you're absolutely right again about my mother's role because you've just reminded me and um, the year that I was in fifth year, um, that was about 71, so we're talking long, long ago, but it was the first year biology was introduced into um, the Leaving Cert. And my mother was a science teacher in the Crescent Comprehensive in Limerick, and it was a very progressive school. And she was one of the first teachers of biology. Oh, wow. And a few of us in my, I was in a boarding school. I was in this great boarding school, which mm -hmm. is another whole <laughs> source of stories. Um, but uh, a great boarding school, school in Athlone, Our Lady's Bower, and there were a few of us in, our in the class um, who really liked the idea of bi biology, had loved it as, um, for the junior cert, mm -hmm. we called it the intermediate certificate then, and my mother said, I don't know who came up with the idea originally that we were going to try and do biology, and she said she would give us some tutorials. And uh, she came up to the boarding school and gave the four of us there were four of us who did biology for the Leaving Cert on our own in that sixth year. When we actually did the Leaving Cert, it was 1973, I think. Wow. And so we did, and we all got at least Bs, and I think somebody got it, which was a big deal in those days. Yeah. Bees aren't anything, but it was a big deal in those days to have done it on our own. But it was a lot to do with her and her kind of inspiration and her just loving it and her saying, of course you'll be able to do it. She was clearly very driven, and I kind of get the same energy from you as well, that this is kind of, you get a buzz off it still. I get a buzz, but uh, driven, she, in a very kind of um, uh, low-key way. So when you use the word driven, that sometimes me and I often worry if I come across as that, so determined to succeed. Mm. More, more from the curiosity point of view. And the passion. And enjoying it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely enjoying it. So she loved explaining photosynthesis. <laughs> yes, the sentence I didn't think I was going to hear. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. And so possibly it was actually those her introduction to photosynthesis and how cool this all actually is. Is then another set of lectures that I liked in Trinity was um, to do with botany. Okay. And uh, that was one thing I did consider um, going into. Actually, I then, I then I want I thought of doing. Um, pathology, um, um, what do you call plant pathology, I thought would be wow. really important. Yeah, well, I thought, well, Ar Ireland is supposed to be, f you know, agriculture mm -hmm. and we're growing all of these things and surely we need to know about the diseases and ways of counteracting the diseases. True, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went along and I had this idea, actually, <laughs> I, think about it. I had this idea that what I'd like to do in the sophistry years for the uh -huh. last two would be um, a, a joint degree between microbiology and botany for exactly this reason. Okay. And uh, I went along um, to, there was one guy who was really very supportive of the idea, but um, the, microbi other, the microbiologist, it was a whole, it was so ahead of its time, this idea that you might pick and choose for a degree. Yeah. You know, and, that wasn't it. That was frowned on a little bit. Oh, really? <laughs> there, were, there were individuals who thought it was a great idea, uh -huh. but then... Um, the wider structure. Exactly. It was impossible to do. And so while you were doing this and coming up with all of these notions... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> notions. That's exactly the word. Yeah. yeah. Did, you, uh, <laughs> did you have a clear focus of, you know, when I graduate, this will be my job? Because this is what fascinates me about studying the sciences, is yes. that 
what do you do with that degree when you graduate? Like, where can yeah. that take you? And did you have a place in mind going, oh, this is what I want to do? Absolutely not. Really? No notion whatsoever what was going to happen. No, no, no. That's so strange, going from yeah. a town planner in Africa to not having a clue, <laughs> clue where I was going. But I suppose, you see, again, back to my mother, you know, she had, after, with her degree in biochemistry, she also had a maths degree. And so she taught for a while, but then they emigrated to Canada. Okay. And, um, and she just found this job as a research assistant in a uh, as a research assistant a research technician i think it was in a hospital and if we, the job uh, she got it um in uh, it was it was working thyroid disease okay and um it was with a clinician who was, it was very new was using radioactive um hormones you know okay. and took her because she'd been taught by Conway because Conway had come up with a way of measuring radioactivity and he thought that my mother would be able would knew enough about Conway units to be able to teach them so I suppose her whole kind of can-do attitude yeah convinced me that or not that was in the back of my head mm. sure I'll find something yeah look at her yeah. and, but that is a big thing of the you know if you can see you can be yes. type mentality yes. that I suppose young girls today do need to hear more of because yes. it's rare enough like that your role model was your mum yeah. within the sciences yes. because you know sometimes young girls can struggle to find role yes. models in the science yeah. technology engineering arts and yeah. math space yes do you think that that's something like were you conscious of the inequality in the sciences when you were in college, or was there inequality in the oh, sciences? totally unaware. Okay. Um, again, because of this kind of, my, you can hear a kind of a thread of naivety, <laughs> um, but also because of my background. Yeah. Um, because my mother's younger sister had gone to college and uh, gone to UCD as well, and she'd done um, plant science. And uh, their father had been very encouraging, and um, he used to, he was from Rathkeel County Limerick, and was really passionate about it, growing all sorts of things, but in particular tomatoes. Okay. And so my aunt, she told me that again when I was young, she, had, she did this master's in agriculture, she did agriculture science, and then she did a master's, and um, she was growing plants, uh, tomato plants, and she talked about having to sleep with her uh, tomato plants because she was looking at, their, at the effect of light and dark on what was happening to them. So these were just stories that you know I had heard. And on my father's side, um, his mother had gone to university, didn't do science, but his, his, an uncle of his had been a professor of organic chemistry. Okay, so it's in uh, the blood So I was hearing, yeah. yeah. And I do realize it's only when I got there, got to Trinity and got to the sciences, and realized how few of my friends had had experiences like that. Mm that it occurred to me just how privileged I was. But in terms of male-female ratio, it wasn't something that we talked about at all. In, in the sciences, <laughs> my best friend in the sciences had left engineering <laughs> because she'd got into engineering and left because of the smelly socks in the library, because it was all men. That's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, so did you go wild in college? Did you like embrace the college experience or were you very focused on doing your plants oh, and your bits? <laughs> I was all over the place. I oh, was really? ridiculous. But I've told you about failing. And, <laughs> and I was lost and I was too young. I'd come from um, this boarding school um, in, in Athlone and I had no like 
Dublin was so huge, Trinity was so amazing. Did it live um, up to your, I suppose it still is if you're still there, but like, did it live up to the, the, the expectation? Well, it, it was exactly what I wanted as a university. Okay. I joined, I had a, I had a, one, of my best, one of my very good friends was doing classics and she made me join the Theology Society because it had a lovely sitting room with a fireplace. Good reason to go to anywhere, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the Classical Society, because they used to do lectures, they used to have tea and biscuits before they had this lecture. And for me, um, this was exactly what the university was about. Okay. You know, but I spent an awful lot of time miserable. You know, I thought I was lost as well. You know, even at and the same time. And what was that time. loss? Because, was that because you didn't know where you were going or was it just... I think it's just young people. Yeah. Oh, most young people are actually... Everything is so huge and so diverse and so much and so many. And you think everybody else has it sorted yeah. and that you're the only one that feels lost. But I think, I think it's that everybody does. Mm -hmm. And then also, of course, there's the whole relationship issue, you know, about friendships and, you know, the, the jostling for position and... Um, identify, seeing some people seem to be able to handle it all and others don't and who are the ones you want to be friendly with and and then for me a boyfriend I just saw and it used to really annoy me that some of the lads used to slag me that the only reason why I was at Trinity was because I was looking for a husband and I was thinking to myself I don't want a husband I just want a boyfriend <laughs> and that's why you're in Trinity that's why I'm in Trinity exactly yeah, but when you yeah. look back though was like was that all just bullshit or was it kind of character forming to build you up to where you are now? Oh, it certainly wasn't bullshit, but it just it is what you go through and what makes you yeah. what you are. And, and the curiosity thing and is, was you'd and having, what was it that made me join those differences? I, I often wish when I see the students that are quieter and shyer mm -hmm. and who aren't involved in things, I, I often wish I could tell them if only you just Try, try them. You'll find somewhere that... that it's very scary, though, because yes. I went to UCD and I did not like it. I just felt lost because I went from a very small secondary school, literally five minutes from UCD, into UCD and was just scared of my shadow. I didn't talk to people until I was about 27. I was just scared of everything yeah. and everyone. And I think it can be difficult to kind of put yourself out there and to join into the different societies if... You either don't have a big group of friends who are yeah. all doing the same course or available yeah. at the same times. Yeah. I think it can yeah. be overwhelming going through college and trying to feel like, oh, why am I in that click or that yeah. click or that yeah, click? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's kind it's, of it's a tricky balance. And how do I'd love to have more conversations around how do you help young people? You're absolutely right. And I realise that whatever it is about my personality, this nosiness and the, and the curiosity overcomes that terror. Yeah. I mean, I have pages of dreadful poetry. <laughs> I was you should have brought them here today. During, written during that time, full of cobblestones and rain, you know, like every poem that came out of Trinity. That's but such a Trinity student thing to do. It's so Trinity. It absolutely <laughs> is, you know, because I was so miserable, you yeah. know, at times. Yeah. But that was juxtaposed between these great evenings in the um, in the classical society or going afterwards I joined Amnesty International when I was it, it, again that was really new 1970 I think Amnesty International the first one in Ireland was only 69 and one of the founding people was um, Clisman and his daughter was doing law in Trinity at the time and she started uh, a student one of the first student Amnesty groups you know, and you just, um, you, you met such interesting people. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was in some way, some recompense yeah. 
for the for the for the feeling of being completely out of even though I'm describing all these wonderful things, the overriding feeling during those first years was of being out of place. And so what what so when you finally graduated then what did you do did you want to run away get away and try something new or had you made a decision Oh no the second I, I, and really uh, the second two years um, once I had decided what to um, specialize in uh, microbiology I decided um, and in fact I shouldn't have been gosh back to my mother again this should you should have her here get her here be amazing <laughs> get her here because and um, because I had chosen and uh, because I'd done so much um, psychology mm. to avoid the chemistry you see and the physics technically I should have been excluded from um, microbiology biochemistry and genetics which were kind of the molecular subjects but I was at home one day um, in, in the mid that summer and my mother was asking me what, what you know they didn't really pay much attention to what I was doing and so okay. it just happened to be this time she said what are you going to do what do you do what are you doing next year I said I think I'll do psychology and she said well what will you do with psychology and I said well, I don't know <laughs> She said, I don't think that sounds like a really good idea. Why aren't you doing something like biochemistry or, uh, or genetics or, or one of the others? And I said, well, I don't like biochemistry, mm. which is a really shameful thing to be admitting now because now I'm passionate about it. And I was taught really good biochemistry all those years ago, which still is resonating in the back of my head. Yeah. I'm, that I am, especially after her doing it. Mm -hmm. um, Anyway, anyway, I said maybe um, microbiology is something that I'd like, um, or bugs. I loved the idea of this microbial world, you know, and that it was just so diverse and so huge, and we can't see it, we don't yeah. know about it, and it's all there. But I had to talk my way into it because so I had to go and see this guy, and he said, uh, um, you, "Your chemistry is rather weak." <laughs> Me having uh, got a three, and I said, um, "But I can do. I, I'll be. I manage." I said, "I manage." Anyway, I walk in on the first day I walk into the class, one of my class, it was a classmates saying, Keanu Farrelly, you shouldn't be allowed in here. You did psychology. We'd have all done psychology. Anyway, I had to overcome that. But um, it was fantastic. Like, I, um, a new professor had just come, Professor Arbuthnot, and he'd um, appointed three new lecturers. This was in 1973. And, oh, sorry, 75 I went into microbiology. And there was a real buzz around the place and really great lecturers. And as I said, this whole thing about the microbial world was just fascinating. Okay, so you sort of found your niche accidentally. Yes. Com oh, completely, again, yeah, completely. Like all the choices. Yeah. And that's how I ended up in immunology. <laughs> I'll give you an idea of the, <laughs> I was in a class of, with lots of very competitive females mm -hmm. and when it came to the final year project, in the final year, uh, senior soft year, choosing a, a research project and I knew that there was going to be major competition for some of the projects being offered by these hot new lecturers, mm. you know, and I said I'm going to choose a project that nobody will want. Okay. And immunology was so unpopular, it was such a... Uh, a non-subject wow. that I knew nobody would want the immunology project. So I chose immunology and look. <laughs> look at you now. <laughs> I know. And so did you stay in the, the Trinity bubble then or did you, have you worked in the, in the real world? Well, oh gosh, did I, what? Well, this is one <laughs> of the reasons why immunology became, or microbiology um, became so engaged with it. Every summer I used to work in um, some job and the summer of 76, a group of us had gone to London to work 
and uh, it was a heat wave and we were t it was um, a recession. Okay. We were told there's no way we could get jobs. But I have this philosophy, there's got to be one out there. And so we all, within um, four days, the four of us got jobs. The two lads got jobs um, on building sites and my friend who was able to touch type got a lovely job as a temp. I managed, the job I managed to get was um, scrubbing floors in a nurse's home. Okay. And as I said, it was the year of this heat wave that they still talk about, 1976. And I had to wear this little plastic house coat. And I have such clear recollection of scrubbing the floors and sweat rolling down my back mm. and saying to myself, whatever else happens, <laughs> I'm going to get a job that means I don't have to scrub floors. Yeah. So any time I was in a lecture theatre, then thereafter, and even the vague thought of boredom <laughs> came mm. into my head, I'd remember the the sweat rolling down my back right. and I say somehow I'm going to get a job that uh, out of this that is is different that's a good motivation, <laughs> once, you, great motivation. once you know what your bottom line it is, is exactly you can kind of shimmy on up from there exactly I mean I knew I could get it so I have in my head I can get a job yep now I'm going to get a job that is a bit different okay and so where did you go from there? You did a, sp a spell in Vincent's, is that correct? Oh, years later. Years later, Years, okay. years later. Um, the reason why, no, I stayed on to, actually, after getting the primary degree, one of the things I thought about, because uh, I had done, I'd done quite a bit of teaching, actually, mm -hmm. okay. for various reasons. I won't tell you why. <laughs> um, no, I want to know why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, well, but there's a great, there's a friend of the families who um, used to come on holidays to right. Kerry and he was the headmaster of this prep, a very, very posh prep school in Hampstead in London and he was a very unusual character and he used to talk about certain, uh, some of the things going on at the school and I knew they taught science and uh, I said, you know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that school some, and he said, well actually I'm short a science teacher and I'm recruiting one, will you do it for six weeks? So I, this is what I did. And I taught for two years, for the, because he was short. It happened the following year as well. Right. So he was short. No, I wasn't even a science teacher. I wasn't teaching science. Sorry. I heard that he was teaching. But he was short a teacher. Right. So the first year I was teaching um, geography, French, and religious instruction to the non-Christians. Oh. Yeah. And it was absolutely Fun. fascinating. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry, how did we get onto that? I Why have no clue, but I'm really enjoying finding out, though. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry about... Oh, but no, the teaching. teaching yeah. I was saying that I really enjoyed the teaching. Okay. I love, and I realised... And my mother had been... the And, yeah. and on the, my father's mother had been a teacher. And so there was kind of a history of teaching. And so I said, well, maybe I'll do the H-dip. Yeah. So I applied to do the H-dip. And I don't know... Oh, then I didn't think I was going to do well in my exams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I ended up getting a 2-1. Which was good. then I discovered that I'd actually been in line for a first, and that um, our professor wouldn't allow because there was already one first that he wouldn't allow extra firsts. He was only what? going to allow one. Exactly, I discovered that way way later. But um, yeah, so here I surprised myself by doing quite well, yeah. and um, I don't know where somebody had mentioned about a PhD, and uh, I said well, maybe I'll try the PhD thing. <laughs> Whatever this is about. It means I can, because I'd love to do my research project. Yeah. That's it. The research project in immunology. Okay. I'd really enjoyed doing that. And, you know, made these discoveries, all in neutrophils. They're amazing. I used to take a blood sample every day, or two, two days a week. Um, someone would take a blood sample, take the cells out, 
and uh, run these experiments with these neutrophils are amazing cells. You know, they're able to move and change shape and do stuff very quickly. Whereas my other friends would be doing experiments that would take them days or weeks to get data. Yeah. I'd get data every day and draw a graph. <laughs> neutrophils are amazing. Anyway, uh, I thought, yeah, this stuff is, I really like this. Yeah. And so I went across to, um, the School of Pathology was behind the Moyne. And, and that's where this um, consultant immunologist who had been teaching us was. And he uh, had been, was offering a PhD. And I go over to make inquiries. And he oh, yeah, you want to do a PhD? What about the girl who got first in your class? Oh. <laughs> I thought, oh, OK. So I went over, went back, and I said, he wants to see you. And uh, she, he, she says, but I don't want to do immunology. You're the one that wants to do immunology. <laughs> anyway, anyway so long story it? short, I got it. And, uh, and that had all of its, a whole lot of attendant um, difficulties and fascination. Yeah, my sister has just submitted her PhD recently in criminology, some, 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 I don't know, she's far smarter than I am, but I saw the pressure that comes with the PhD, like it's, it's a huge body of work, especially like in her thing, but did you feel the pressure of huge. the workload and also not screwing it up as well? <laughs> And again, just not knowing what you're doing yeah, and why you're doing it. And, you know, I have such now, you know, I've had 40 PhD students myself yeah. and not one single one of them have got through without some feeling of pressure and difficulty. Some feel it more than others and I have such sympathy for them. But you have, that's part of the PhD process. You have to, one of the things I was passionate about in coming into my own position was trying to make the training better. Okay. I mean, when I did my PhD, I was the first female to get a PhD in immunology. Yeah. And so there were only three other people had done a PhD in immunology. So people really just hadn't done it. And also there were very few people doing PhDs okay. in, at that time. So the whole idea of PhD training or a PhD program was just non-existent mm. back then. So I have been over the years very passionate about trying to improve PhD training and support and analysis. But even though it has become a lot better, I think there is a, always a period of, um, again, it's self-reflection and self-doubt. We've called it in our house a serious wobble. <laughs> that's how we refer to it is, just having a serious it's wobble. Humble. That's okay. Well, actually, that's a lovely way of putting it because um, my, my personal serious wobble happened when both my parents came out, took me out to dinner one uh, dinner, and I started, burst into tears. Mm -hmm. And they'd never seen me cry up to then about anything. I'm not a cry about other things, mm. but about anything academic. They were horrified. And because neither of them had done PhDs, they had no idea how to help. Yeah. You know, and uh, was, there were so many problems. I couldn't get my techniques to work. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. Nobody was helping me nobody else knew there was nobody in the country who knew anything about this there was just a multiplicity of problems and I was useless at handling it all mm -hmm. I felt it but it is that feeling of when like, now I haven't done it I, I'm still happy with my Bachelor of Arts degree thank you very much but I do see it and I, I have seen it. It, it it's it's the enormity of it and yes. also because it takes up so much headspace you feel like if you don't nail it yes Yes, that's exactly What's it. What's the point of doing yeah. it to begin with? You know, yes. because you get to that stage of it being all-consuming. 
and you don't know this you, you can't judge the size of it yeah like i went in in fairness the phd supervisor that i had i think the one very useful comment he made mostly he was totally detached he was a <laughs> clinician and was busy building a, a routine immunology doing an awful lot of stuff and so i was very very incidental <laughs> but i went in one day and um, Oh, uh, yes, because my PhD was in celiac disease, and I thought to really understand celiac disease, where it's, it's a, an, an immune response to wheat protein that happens in the intestine. And uh, I thought really to understand celiac disease, I needed to know more biochemistry, I needed to know more physiology, I needed to more more anatomy, I needed to understand endocrinology. Um, and so I went in to say to him, I think I need to do medicine. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, in order to do this, and he said, "Look, if you do medicine, you'll never come back yeah. to celiac disease." And then I went on again. But I, how am I going to learn all of these things? And he said, to me, "Look, you don't have to cure celiac disease. You just have to do a PhD in it." Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he said something like that, which was huge, hugely valuable. And I've remembered that when I see students really struggling with the, as, as you say, the enormity of the task yeah. to try and give them. Um, a sense of where in the path to discovering the cure to cancer are um, an autoimmune disease, are viral infection, that they can make a real contribution, yeah. but don't feel they have to. That's the all on thing. their shoulders. Exactly. The in terms, and I'm getting your passion, and we like we both know Luke O'Neill as well, yes. who's uh, down your way, and he's a regular on the Pat Kenny show. And the best thing about Luke is that when he comes into the building in News Talk, you know he's in the building in News Talk. His presence yes. is always felt, and yes. he can talk about the science of everything. Yes. Uh, with the same level of passion and knowledge, and it doesn't yes. matter if it's like you know talking about cancer or the science of the Beatles. Yes. And fandom and all that kind of yeah. stuff. The passion with which yourself and Luke talk about science is massively important because it does make it more engaging and more approachable. Yeah. Do you think that we need to change the perception of the sciences as a whole? Because when I say scientists, many people just straight away think of a nerd, thick glasses, white coat, no personality. No offence. But that's kind <laughs> of what comes to mind. Yes, um, but you see, we m m so there's several um, points that you'd like to dissect them all. <laughs> Work away. Um, because first of all, we need to realise um, that some of the very best thinkers in any subject, um, including the sciences, are often very silent, mm -hmm. and it is uh, a real problem in our society that. Um, success is always measured by the amount of communication and we haven't really learnt ways to really celebrate the people who do fabulous stuff but aren't able to communicate it yeah yeah we need to find ways of helping those so i i really don't think we, we mustn't throw out the baby with the bath water okay by insisting that everybody needs to be but in terms of teaching because again if i think back to my science education in second level yes so i was always i'm the kind of kid so when i was a teenager i was quite dorky right so i used to take my dad um is a telephone engineer so he used to take a lot apart uh, landline telephones and put them back together yeah. and i started doing that and then yeah. i started doing computers i, I liked yeah. breaking things yes learning what i've broken and putting it back, put it back together back in, yeah and I could do that until the cows come home. I could explain what I did and why I did it and all that stuff. But if I had to regurgitate text from a biology book on an exam paper, 
my brain just doesn't work that way. If I understand yes. what I'm talking about, then yes. I can talk about it, if you know what I mean. Yes. And I don't think the way science was taught in my school anyway, to begin with, in the first three yes. years, captured the excitement of well, science. Well, I absolutely agree with you about that. Um, and it infuriates me that um, the science is taught in the abstract. Yeah. I mean, I was... D when bringing up the kids, I do... I, I love cooking anyway. And um, in the kitchen, they, so all, all my three now are our three, I should say. And um, by the way, there's a whole story about how I did find my husband in Trinity. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> okay, let's finish this story and we'll go back to that story. Which one do you want? Do we go back to the teaching? We'll yeah, go back to the, the teaching, teaching, teaching bit. Yes. Um, and it was so easy to teach them about, or not teach them, I wasn't teaching them, mm. but they were learning yeah. about weights, about measuring, about fluids, about um, mm -hmm. acids, about bases, about yeasts, about... Uh, you could, in the kitchen, I, that made me think then, you could teach the whole of the biology course from starting with the house. Yeah. And from the bathroom, from the garden, and from the kitchen, you could teach all the... And just start with something practical. Why aren't we teaching science that way? But it's even, you know, when you mentioned uh, photosynthesis, so I went to a Grail yeah. school, yeah. and the second you said that, photosynthesis and the definition of it popped yeah. into my brain yeah. because it was drilled into us. And then you would switch so it off. But I could regurgitate the definition. Yes. But yes. then as I got older, if you said, well, if you look at a plant and if you put it in a particular way, yeah. I, if you can visualise it, some yes. people think visually rather than, yeah. you know, yes, in exactly. text. And yeah. I just yeah, think yeah. we don't cater for that. And I do think... Like I love that STEM is now becoming STEAM to yes, incorporate yes, the arts yes, elements yes, yes. because there are people who would discount themselves from the sciences and from technology because yeah. they might have an artistic brain yes. rather than an academic yes. brain. Yes. But there's a place yes. for all kinds of brains Absolutely, in this and we should be using them. We, we've just run um, a really nice little um, workshop for TY students um, called Uncovering Cancer. And it's all, it was, it's about kind of teaching, and not communicating the concepts of cancer immunology, which is hugely challenging. Um, so they need to learn a little bit of biology, a bit of uh, immunology, cancer, and then immunotherapeutics. And we were doing that in four days because we were combining um, games and artistic endeavours to embed the concepts. Yeah. Well, the students just loved it. Yeah. And I, I, I really think, you're, so you're absolutely right, that if we want to get better at uh, and to get more people engaged in, in the sciences, we should be using more of those, type, th those um, alternative approaches yeah. to um, communicating this and engaging the students. Tell me how you met your husband. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, I was doing chemistry, chemistry. Uh -huh. um, I was doing chemistry practicals and um, was with this guy who had this amazing long hair and I went home that weekend to, uh, to Adair, I'm from Adair County Limerick and my grandmother was asking me how was I getting on in college, had I met anybody interesting, I said I, to kind of shock her a bit because long hair was kind of concerned, I told her I was doing chemistry practicals with this guy, this amazing hair, it was just the most fabulous colour. Um, and she said, <laughs> she said, but did he diet? How do you? <laughs> so, I mean, this, to someone as young as you, that wouldn't sound outrageous. But for our grandmother in 1973 to be asking this question. Anyway, he became part of it. There was a group of us that hung around together. And uh, then we went on a, a zoology field trip. That the, this zoologist that I told you about, yeah. Frank Geel, um, used to organise these fantastic field trips. Um, and we went down to oh, this beautiful Townley Hall. Trinity used to own this beautiful um, country house. 
and on an estate and it was converted over so there were these dormitories so there could be um, different types of field trips so there mm -hmm. would be sometimes classics sometimes latin sometimes and some zoology and anyway ken and i got together and uh, so he was in my uh, chemistry class or in our science class and then he went and did medicine and um, became a consultant surgeon so oh i fell wow. in love with a zoologist and he morphed into a surgeon that is a good story. Right. I'm glad we factored that one in. 40 years ago, we're, we're married 40 years now. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous. And so how did you find balancing your personal life with all of your studies and then your career? Because I get the impression that this, like what you do is not something that I'd say is easy to switch off from when five o'clock comes. <laughs> well, I don't. Yeah, or else, well, Ken gives out that I have such an indisciplined mind that it's just switching and flashing all over the place and great, won't though. focus. <laughs> he says, what would you achieve if you could just focus? You're um, doing okay anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> well, it's great. It's great fun. And, you know, he, he's been, it's, it's been amazing, mm -hmm. an amazing journey with him. And so uh, it's fantastic. And how do you actually do it? Because I saw someone... Um, making a comment. I'm um, involved in our school's Athena Swan submission. Do you know about all of that? No. And, uh, so there's an initiative in the you know starting the UK universities to um, make universities more aware of um, gender uh, gender bias and balance. Having discovered that you know lots of females come into college and then about the leaky pipe and all of that. So this whole scheme has been. Oh, it's interesting that you don't know about it. Um, it has been developed whereby universities will not be allowed apply for funding unless they demonstrate that they have engaged in this process and are trying to do something. Okay. And so um, Trinity has an overall scheme and then different departments are involved. So I'm helping with our school, School of Biochemistry and Immunology, with our submission for what's called uh, an Athena Swan Bronze Award which means that um, the Bronze Award, you get the Bronze Award if you have demonstrated that you have really put the searchlight on every aspect of the department's functioning and um, how it relates to gender. Okay, and so by doing that, did you find anything that shocked you or well, that needed changing? It's all in the literature. Um, or, you know, it's all being being reported. Yeah. Um, and uh, the fact that, as just as I mentioned, especially nowadays, plenty of females coming into the system, lots of females doing PhDs, um, but then um, dropping off at the postdoc level and um, fewer le le female lecture lecturers and then very few at the professorial level. So I think Trinity still only has 18 or 20% of female professors. Wow. So that's full professors. Yeah. So um, then we're, we're looking at the attitudes as to why, you yeah. know, and there's all sorts of components that people hadn't thought about before or had done something positive about. Like when we invite, um, when we invite people to come and give seminars, you, just, you think you're thinking of the best. And why is it that a male always pops into your head, whether you're male or female, mm. it's a male pops into you. It's a, just like what you said, if, it, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Once you make a bit of effort, then of course there are lots. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting um, that uh, you can actually shift uh, by, you can actually shift attitudes by mm -hmm. introducing a conscious change yeah. of that nature. And it's interesting to hear that, that that process is still ongoing. You know, I was at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas a few years ago and it's one of the biggest tech conferences in the world, but they didn't have a single female keynote speaker. 
And it's something that I remember just looking at the lineup and I was like, that's a bit weird. And then it became a story. And so there was then this big search of can we find a woman to talk before yes. the conference is over? Yes. And you just think, geez, imagine being that woman being asked to do it. <laughs> yes. And is it that you're doing it to be the token woman or is it doing, doing it because you're good enough? Well, I... You know what I mean? It's striking that balance. This you never want to be the token chick. Absolutely, chicks. absolutely. And so for many years, um, I didn't engage with the, uh, very actively yeah. with the feminist um, drive. Like So um, in fact, it was a, a colleague of mine that was very active, Mary Mulvihill, you know, you've, yes. you know about yeah. her. I was very active in starting off women in technology and mm -hmm. science and I did join but I really felt exactly that that you're supposed to perform um, uh, you're, you're supposed to get to where you are by how you perform mm. um, also I had no time at the time <laughs> you're too busy just being yeah just trying to do it yeah yeah but now I absolutely understand the, that there absolutely has to be positive action, affirmative action. We have to identify the problems and then try and do something mm -hmm. about the problems. I'm hugely aware of that. So you asked whether we had um, discovered or found anything interesting. Yes. This, what I was going to refer to um, is this w one little comment that somebody made um, in response to all the questionnaires that we sent out um, was, we all struggle with the life-work balance some of us get it, don't get it as right as others. And which I found a really distressing response yeah. um, because um, there isn't either a right or a wrong. There's what suits you. Or that's what, and, um, and that is a fascinating thing about academia and, and particularly the type of science that I do is that, um, or that we're in in academia. You, you can actually um, manipulate it a bit to suit yourself. So I made decisions along the way that were, and when I look back, whenever I have to give a career talk, I often um, line up two columns of um, the pathway to a professor, the correct, the, the, the kind of the accepted pathway, and then my pathway. Yeah. And I put a little um, brain beside the, um, the, the correct decisions, and then a little heart by the decisions I made. Mm -hmm. So for all sorts of reasons, I made decisions that were for the heart. So even staying in Trinity to do a PhD was considered not a good move back then. You should really have gone abroad. But because I was with, I had a really great boyfriend I, who was doing medicine, mm -hmm. I didn't want to leave Ireland. So I made that decision. So I could talk through many of the decisions yeah. and describe how. So when he got his consultancy in, um, in uh, Wexford, I uh, decided or tried to set up uh, to work 80% of the time, two days a week in Dublin, that's when I was in Vincent's, and two days a week in Wexford. And so that was considered career suicide from the kind of the dogma viewpoint. Yeah. But it meant I could keep working. And, and it meant, I, and I just absolutely, I could talk all about that, what that job was like running the research labs in Vincent's. It was just a wonderful opportunity and all sorts of wonderful things came out of that. Mm -hmm. But when I was starting off doing it, I, there were little, I'd only hear a little bit back because I'm just not good at gossip. Yeah. <laughs> but that there was, a, you know, poor Cleana, um, her career is gone now. Jeez. And so do you articulate that then to the male and the female students as well who are coming through now that you can sort of carve your own path that you don't have to do step one step two step three I'm always trying to 
Yes, I do, and I've, I've, but where, where I can see that it's had an effect is more in the direct mentoring of um, female, female colleagues mm -hmm. or students, you know, who especially during the pregnancies, you know, when, uh, and at the shifts. And I, but I'm, it's funny, they don't all listen, you know. Well, sometimes I you do have to learn your own lessons, don't you really? You do, add, but you, they're so, and this is what, now I'm only realising as I get older, it, it's an example of how strong the status quo is. And so the, you know, people say, oh, but I have to get this and I have to do that and I have to do the other. And I'm trying to say to them, well, they won't really matter mm -hmm. if uh, you're, 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 you, know, you're, you aren't um, contented in yourself. Um, some of them, some, uh, so it's a very difficult lesson to, or it's a very difficult message to communicate, I yeah. find. Is the world of academia super competitive? That, then this is why. Yeah. That's absolutely right, gosh. That's a, a really, really good point. Like I just, I even described the, at an undergrad level. And there's always this measure, ways of measuring up, and particularly in the sciences then. Yeah. You know, there are ways of being able to see that other people are doing better. Um, are, you know, you should be doing this. So you the PhD, you have to publish papers, you have to get grants, other people get prizes. And uh, so there is a constant stream of message telling you you're not doing well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or that's the way a lot of people do feel. And so again, that would be one of the really, um, it's a really challenging issue to address, how to allow people to develop a sense of confidence in what they're doing mm -hmm. and not to be so aware of course you have to be. I mean, Twitter, I've just become totally addicted to Twitter. And I'm trying to persuade myself it's really useful because I learn about fabulous science, fabulous papers. That's my, I'm learning, hearing about most of the most important papers on Twitter. I hear about meetings and I see, I've met all sorts of interesting people. But it, I can see how if you were you know, at different stages of your career, mm. to be constantly aware of is, is very challenging. But also then do you, when you are going down the path, whether it's your path or you know, the, the correct path yes. or whatever you want to call it, yes. do you still have your sense of self or do you become all consumed by what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve by your studies and your research? I'm interested in loads of things. So mm -hmm. I mean, I uh, absolutely loved having children. And um, it, was, it, was, it was such a privilege. And th their worlds then, and so this is why working two, um, two days a week in Dublin and the rest down in Wexford was just fantastic yeah. because I could be involved in all of that. I'm so nosy, you know, so I learned all about GAA and you know, met all of those mothers and made cakes and um, went to all the parent-teacher meetings, met all the teachers, lots, got to know lots of the, of the teachers. Mm. So that would drag me out. Okay. Um, of whatever it was that I was doing. So I, uh, and then I was um, very involved in Amnesty and I continued to be um, really interested in human rights. And that's why this whole thing about the, fem the women yeah. and um, is, is really, really very interesting because I think the university should be a place where everyone feels comfortable. Yeah. Um, everybody, we start off with trying to deal with the big problems with the women, but then there are all sorts of other issues as well. Um, but those, those other activities would drag me out of the science. But do you see people now who are so 
uh, consumed or aware of the competition and you know the want to be trending on Twitter because they've developed something yes. or discovered something. Yes. Do you think that the the level of competition or the intensity of the competition has gone up in a year? I don't know that it's gone up. Okay. You see, that's again what's so interesting is that people. Is I've described to you the the competitive females in my undergrad class. Yeah. You know, there was. Uh, I think it's as long as you have humans, you will have people, and you'll have. My husband has a great phrase: um, "Head hen." I mean, just even the way we dress and the makeup. He says the head hen syndrome is what he calls it. He says you watch. Um, for first of all, watch females getting dressed up before they go out. Who are they actually getting dressed up for? Um, oh, it's totally other girls. Yeah, it's, it's other girls. Yeah. yeah, and so then you go into some, and you really again because I mean even though I'm curious about things, I'm not good at fashion, and I'm not good at clothes, so I miss all the the stuff. Mm. And only occasionally do I get a tiny glimpse if I'm with someone who's really. And then there's comments on people's shoes or their, their eyebrows are there and I said oh my god I'm supposed to have done all of that <laughs> you know so yeah. as I said and it's a very very basic biological thing we know that amongst from the animal kingdom you know everybody is jostling mm -hmm. for a position and uh, or for their for their position and if we don't acknowledge that mm. and find ways of helping ourselves and our loved ones feel more comfortable with all of that, then we're, we really are missing something terribly important. Of all the different uh, hats that you wear within your job, what's your favourite one? Ooh. It's like asking what's your favourite child, it but is. I know, I know. It is, I couldn't possibly, I mean, you know, when I was teaching the, um, the uh, senior fresh, those are second years, you mm -hmm. know, that's a huge class, it's 200 and you know, wow. kind of some people hate the big classes and you go along and uh, the kids think, I call them kids, I'm not supposed to, the students think you can't see them because there's 200 mm -hmm. of them, but when you're teaching you can see the ind individuals, you know, yeah. you can see some of them engaging and you can see others going to sleep. Once in my class there were two making out down the back, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then some come and ask you questions. It's just so wonderful to see the light coming into their eye. You know they're really interested in this, or you've hit on something here. Then um, uh, you know I bump into Luke O'Neill literally yeah. just before coming in here, and we're talking about something really cool. And then there's the black holes. You know, yes. there's that whole excitement about the black hole thing. And then you meet. Um, we had a, a, a lab meeting um, during the week, during last week and one of the students came up with a really cool discovery. There's something really, really exciting coming out of the research that could have, uh, the research into, this is reproductive immunology, that could have huge implications for women who are trying to get pregnant. Um, a, a discovery of a new aspect of the immune response happening at the, um, in the endometrium, in the uterus, that could really affect um, there, as I said, the, the ability to get pregnant. And I mean, you just think you, you might actually have something here that could be really important. Yesterday I was in Edinburgh um, and uh, went to visit a collaborator. Um, and we're going to make stem cells. We're going to make, I have made stem cells or we have made stem cells from these women who are resistant to hepatitis C. Mm -hmm. um, and we now want to make macrophages from those stem cells. And we're going to make, there's another collaborator in Edinburgh who's going to make hepatocytes, liver cells. And so we're going to put, because in healthy liver, there's lots of myeloid cells as well as hepatocytes. And the two populations really 
um, uh, are required to interact together to make a healthy liver mm -hmm. and are probably really important in responding to viral infection. So we are hoping to make uh, a little resistant liver in a dish. I mean, if we might, so I, that, just sitting down and talking with her is cool. just so exciting. So that's within your workday, whereas I'll probably like play with a phone and maybe a laptop and that could be the extent of it. Yeah, lots of people have really cool jobs. My sister's an architect and is um, designing this really beautiful estate. You know, I mean, that is, that's a cool job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I could talk to you for another six hours. We haven't even touched upon any of the, the work that you're doing day to day, but unfortunately we are flat out of time. Oh. Clean up, Ari, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you.